Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. We talk the latest stories that we've been sharing on Women's Agenda this week and also some of the key issues that have people talking. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm the co-founder of Agenda Media, which is the publisher of Women's Agenda. I am here in our studio with Georgie Dent, who is our contributing editor on Women's Agenda. How are you, Georgie? Very well and happy to be here. And calling in from Brisbane, we have Shivani Gopal. How are you, Shivani? I am fabulous, thank you. And what are you doing in Brisbane? I... Yesterday, I was celebrating International Women's Day with uh, Hugh Cooper. That was lovely. And today, I'm doing a bunch of meetings up and down Brisbane. So, good weather, good time. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, today, we are talking a number of topics that are coronavirus related. It is hard to think of much else, although we are thinking of a lot of other things as well. But um, today we've got a couple of topics that are relevant. Uh, The first being about uh, working from home and if we are reaching a bit of a a necessary desperate turning point for employers to be looking at work from home options. Also the broader implications of coronavirus on women. And we're also going to talk about um, will we see in our lifetimes... I hope so. A, a US president, and that follows uh, Elizabeth Warren pulling out of the race for the Democrat Democratic nominee late last week. So, at the time of recording, uh, and this is obviously an ever-changing situation, but at the time of recording, we know that confirmed cases of COVID-19 coronavirus are increasing in Australia, and the situation is raising all sorts of challenges everywhere, but the one that we're looking at at the moment is around the challenges for employers and for workplaces and how we go about our work day to day. I think it will also potentially raise a lot of challenges for working parents, um, if we follow what has occurred in other countries with schools closing, with uh, childcare centres closing, and obviously trying to figure out how you potentially continue on with work around that period and around <coughs> additional caring uh, responsibilities that you didn't necessarily anticipate. So a number of major workplaces uh, like Twitter, Google, IBM, Salesforce, particularly tech companies, have been encouraging workers to stay home if they can, and especially in the United States. Um, But, I mean, some of these companies also put out the caveat that those who can work from home should work from home, meaning that there are a lot of roles, even in tech companies, that simply cannot be done from home, and that's the reality of the situation. Also, we know a lot of um, areas of the workforce, it's just impossible to think about working from home. Um, It it just, you know, in the hospitality sector, um, in other services sectors and things like that. But in the places where we can work from home, where it is possible and it has been possible for quite a long time. Um, I might go to you first, Shivani. What are you sensing? Do you see a bit of a turning point? What have you seen even in your travels being in the startup community and um, back and forth to interstate and some of the trips that you've been doing? Are you seeing a greater appetite for working from home? I think I am because when I hopped on the plane from Sydney to get to Brisbane, the plane was half full. The airport was also about a quarter uh, full from what I normally see, and I and I catch what I would normally use the business flight, six a.m. flight out, and everyone's always rushing to a meeting or two. So there's definitely less people travelling and out and about. 
Yeah, um, I mean, that, that's the point that I think just on that, it's interesting. Yeah, airline travel, that's another piece of that, which yeah. I, I wanted to mention as well. That's one of the first thing that we're seeing a lot of employees, even if they're not telling staff to work from home, they are saying, look, if you don't actually need to go interstate for that meeting, then maybe you could dial in, maybe you could do a video conference. Again, I think, which could point to a bit of a turning point of people realising that we don't need to hop on a plane for these meetings. So absolutely everything you know, right. And if this isn't going to be the moment of truth for flexible work and working from home opportunities, and I don't know what is. I saw a hilarious tweet the other day just to put a little little bit of humour into what is, you know, a, a very you know, dark and, and sad time that is, you know, this coronavirus era that we're going through. Um, and it was, you know, we're finally going to find out which meetings should have been emailed. And it is so darn true. Which meetings should be so emails, things. exactly. I know. <laughs> It's, and it's so true because there are so many meetings that you're thinking, this is an absolute waste of my time. And if it is a waste of your time, then it is a waste of your productivity and the waste of business, you know, income and hours for you to be there. So I think it's so important that we finally start to think about new and interesting ways, or not even new, just, just innovative ways in which you can actually work from home or work remotely. So you can use Zoom, you can use GoToMeetings, you can use Slack. We use those all at Upstreet at the moment in order to liaise with our team. We're actually an on-site team. So I don't think you necessarily need to be a tech company to be working remotely. I think this is a huge call to action for all those companies who have flexible workplace agreements and contracts and just sits there and collects dust in their HR section of the internet and does nothing with it. So it's really time for them to figure out how they can actually work from home. So yeah, look, there's a lot less travel happening, but there uh, there also needs to be a lot more, you know, open-minded thinking when it comes to how people can actually work from home. But also think about how you can improve your productivity too. I mean, you know, meetings are best done when you've actually got a pre-read and you know what you're actually going into the meeting for. So you can think about it and actually contribute. And then you can have an email with action items at the end of it as well. So you mm. may not even need to do a meeting at all. It could, could really just be a pre-read and, and an email to say, here's what you need to do. Yeah, because and when you think about the, the travel, I mean, it's not just the interstate travel, but just any kind of travel that is required to get to a meeting and how much of that could be saved just by using technology, video conferencing technology particularly. I remember I was a tech journalist in a past life and I remember going to all these amazing demonstrations of this video conferencing technology that was going to completely transform how we work and to the point where you can feel like you're actually sitting in the same room as other people and at the time those sorts of te- that those sorts of things were so expensive and just really only for particular companies that were able to do that but obviously the price has come down these things are relatively cheap it's their costs that um, are actually quite hard to notice even when you're running a business so uh, it it's amazes me still that it takes something like this to get to the point where people think about all the things that can be saved from, you know, emissions to uh, costs to productivity to the health and well-being of employees that we have to get to this point to see it happen. Georgie, I'll bring you in here. What What are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, look, I think this is obviously going to be um, an exercise in you know, people and employers realising what exactly is possible. Um, lots of people who already are engaged in this space know how efficient working from home can be. There is, you know, the advantages are very clear. I suppose the one concern I have is that the circumstances here that are going to push a lot of people into having to work remotely 
I, I don't think – I think it would be naive to think that it is going to be business as usual. I think that there is going to be – there are going to be dips in productivity and outcomes, mm. not because of people working from home necessarily, but because of the broader implications of this mm. um, sort of health pandemic. Because we've already seen – we know that the economy is very close to – recession mm-hmm. there have been so many sort of broader factors contributing to that but obviously the bushfires um, and then this virus have obviously um, accelerated and escalated I think those factors and so I think that my, I think if there were other circumstances it could be a fact of companies suddenly realizing that they actually can do better mm. with people working remotely and um sort of finding those efficiencies but I think this probably isn't going to be the time when everyone's businesses are doing as well as they could. Yeah I agree so the thing is is that it might break the ice a little bit in terms of getting started on some of those different technologies it's I mean you you don't use Slack you don't know about Slack you don't think about Slack until you start using Slack and you realize that you can't imagine how you previously worked it's it's Mm. the same with a lot of different technologies that it just takes all of a sudden you realise that you have to use it and then that just becomes part of your workflow and your productivity and how you work. So I'd like to think that there's – I mean, I just look for some kind of positives to come out of this. It's, oh, and look, sorry, I do – I look for I definitely, some optimism, something, but yeah. Mm. I do. I, I definitely think that side of this will be um, optimistic because, you know, like that um, company in New Zealand where they went put everyone to the four-day week and suddenly mm. the productivity went up even though um, the hours at the office were down – and I just think, unfortunately, this isn't going to be like that because yeah. I think the sort of the implications are so widespread. I mean, just the global spread of the virus itself. But then you think about the flow and impact. I mean, even, you know, the airlines have already felt a huge um, drop mm. in their capacity. And then there's the flow on effects for all of that. So I think that it, from a working from home perspective, I think this will be a good enabler. Um, but I do also, I am just conscious of the broader implications. Mm, yeah. I mean, on some of those... Sorry, Shivani. No, no, I, I was just saying, just on that though, I think that as we emerge out of this coronavirus period, what's going to emerge is a new normal, and that is that there's going to be this new awakening. Like we actually can work from home, we actually can use technology, you know, across different roles. And therefore, we can have a high level of productivity as well. I mean, one of the things that we do want to is we just integrate that with our Google Drive, where we save many of our documents, and and it just enables us to, you know, just you know have things uploaded and have things downloaded on the move. And I I think it's so important to be nimble that way. And you know, while coronavirus is a terrible reason for us to, you know, start thinking a little bit outside the square, I do hope that the new the new normal does change all of that mm. in the future. Yeah, I mean, even uh, I think a new normal in terms of um, hygiene and practices and everybody learning to actually wash their hands properly and things like I love in our office that we, we have a, a share office here. I love seeing that the, the, you know, the doors on the bathrooms are propped open, so which just seems to make such sense to make it easier for people to go in and out without having to, to, touch. to touch handles along the way. So you wonder if there's, there's certain mm-hmm. things and practices that, I mean, I hope we learn and we can take into the next uh, similar health challenge or even just take into trying to prevent the spread of the flu going mm. forward, um, which I think, I mean, it relates again to this topic of, of working from home, um, you know, that idea where, 
I think that there is this thing that a lot of people do go to work when they are a little bit sick and maybe this is an opportunity for people to have the setup at home ready to go. So it's not that they're calling in sick or having a sick day, but they know that they're not quite 100% there, but they're still ready to work. And so it'll be, you know, the, the more able they are to be able to do it that from home potentially could have great run-on effects in terms of productivity in the workforce. Mm. Okay, so moving on now, but still on uh, coronavirus, um, we wanted to talk a little bit more about the broader uh, implications uh, for women and looking at some of the specific uh, gender-based research and data, which is obviously very new and possibly ever-changing. And so all we can look at is some of the, the, the studies that have, the small studies that have come out so far. It does appear, I mean, we do know that the virus is discriminating. Um, it is affecting older people a lot more than younger people. Um, that's when it comes to developing serious complications. Um, we've also seen some data out of China that shows that men have accounted for 70% of deaths, and that was from one survey. And there are certain theories behind that, um, higher rates of smoking among men and other things. Um, but... Just to, to take a step back from that, um, a few other things to consider when it comes to, uh, to the broader impact of coping in this new and current world order that we're dealing with. But women are and will take on the caring responsibilities and make up the majority of frontline health workers. So I think that we can say that if we bring that back to Australia and we think about going back to the idea of working from home and potentially what might happen if we do see periods of school shutting down, of daycare centres shutting down, I think we're really going to see that, and this is a prediction, that it will be a, a lot more women will be forced to step out of work. I don't know what you think, Georgie, but that mm. seems like a likely scenario there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think that if we go to if, if we go to a place where there are shutdowns of schools, I think that a lot of workplaces would follow suit. I could be wrong. That's just my prediction there. But I think um, you could have a have a situation where both parents are home when the children come home. But I think one of the issues that I have been thinking about for women is that we know that women um, make up the mm. vast majority of lower-paid workers mm-hmm. in our economy. And a lot of those lower-paid workers work in healthcare. Yep. Um, they work in childcare, mm. they work in retail, they work in hospitality. They are the sorts of jobs where, A, there is a greater risk of them contracting a virus that's being spread because if they're in highly populated places every day... They're also probably less likely to have sick leave um, to, to cover them if they did get sick or if they're forced into a quarantine period. And so I think in that way it's not um, – I don't think it's too sensational to say that the impact this could have on women economically could be quite mm. catastrophic, mm-hmm. potentially. Yep. Shivani, what do you think? Yeah, look, just just on that, it's it's as you and Georgie have said, I think that if some of these areas of industries were to shut down for a short period of time and women make up the vast majority, that it's also affecting their income as well. But at the same time, women are seen as those traditional caregivers. And so the pressure on them, if schools are shutting down, to then take time off work if they're not in an industry where, you know, you know their, their workplaces are closed down for a short period of time also increases. So my my advice would actually be for you know for, uh, for women and men, uh, women who are in partnered relationships or have support, um, and you know especially if there's you know mum and dad in the relationship, actually sit down and have that conversation up front because we can actually see that there is a a likelihood of this happening given that a few schools have closed you know for for a period of days. 
So actually have the conversation, set expectations up front. If this happens and our children's school closes or our child's childcare centre closes, who's going to be the person that takes time off work? Can we tag team this? Can we can we work in it in a certain way? Otherwise, you're going to start to find that there's a, an area of expectation where, again, because women are traditional caregivers, it's going to fall on you as a woman to, to take that up. And your career is equally as important. Um, and it's also going to, you know, create, you know, some, some, some guilt or some resentment, some resentment in the relationship. So have a conversation up front and see if you can try to make it work for the both of you rather than, you know, just yeah, sort of yeah. having that expectation placed on you. Yeah. 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 I also, one of the, this is slightly off that topic, but it's, it's related. I really do worry and wonder about what happens in households if somebody is infected, self-isolating when you've got children and, mm. you know, p- people living with you. I know in my instance I am on um, immunosuppressants because of one of the autoimmune conditions that I have. So I am at a greater risk, I would say, than my children because we, we're not seeing children get it in the way older people are and I'm, I would say I'm more susceptible than my husband. Um, and so I, I do think about what, what are we going to do in households where – because not everyone is on the same baseline of, mm. of immunity and health. Yeah. So, so you suggest in your sort of house, uh, in an ideal situation, you would be able to isolate yourself from, if, from your family. Well, I wonder then when we're talking about these sorts of quarantines, you have to have this um, – there, there would have to be structures in place to enable mm. that, but I can't see how practically that would occur. But I know from – I've shared a little bit on social media about my concerns about myself being immunosuppressed and, and other people have certainly been in touch with me and have said they've got a similar – problem whether it's their mm. husband or child that's got an immune condition and I just wonder how are we going to practically manage the division there so that you can protect people yeah 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 there's, there's so many things to get like I, I don't want to go too far down the, the different not so great scenarios mm. that can happen but even the things of who looks after the the children if the parents or in a single well, exactly, parent household yes. or something if if the parent is sick what, what will happen there because how you know how willing are people going to be to go and care for for those other mm. people that who might be um who might be um contagious themselves so that there's so much to delve into and I don't know that oh I know. Well, it's, it it's going to be a matter of sort of watching and waiting. Mm. And I think we are going to have to be nimble, um, as Shivani was saying before, mm. in a different context. But I think being nimble and being open to suggestions of what works. And you and I were speaking earlier about the fact that drive-through testing units yeah. have been set up in different places, which is a terrific idea because yeah. one of the problems is what do people with suspected coronavirus, they have to go to a place where there are other people potentially yeah. um, mm. who have reduced immunity, whether it's because they have coronavirus or because they've got another um, illness that is mimicking that. And then they have to go to either a GP or the ED department, so that just the risk of infection. So you just think, look, drive-through testing, isn't that a terrific solution mm. to part of this problem? Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, this is where I, I, w- I want to try and retain some optimi- optimism on this and that you do see, I mean, China currently has its uh, – the, the rate of infections now has, is coming down. We're seeing – I mean, containment is actually happening and it is actually yeah. possible and I think it's mm. important to remember that we don't – have to necessarily think that I mean there's a lot of you know people out there like oh we're all going to get this this is just going to circulate this is what it is 
I feel like we're, we're probably in this window of opportunity now. Me saying this, I am obviously no medical expert, but we, we don't necessarily have to accept the fact that this is just going to happen, that there are still options. And the best thing that we can do is take all the precautions that we can to personally uh, look after ourselves, but also then look after the community as well and always keep the, the more vulnerable people in mind, mm. which is, I think, that, and that needs to really go down into school kids as well, because I think it is, it is kind of around schools. The kids seem to know that the kids don't get affected. They, 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 have, they, they have something to fear, but they seem mm. to, I don't, I don't know if your kids sense this, but that kind it's of be. more so. Mm. No, it's as you were saying, it's more so if, if the kid does get it, they're generally going to recover, but it's about the risk that then they pose to the parents as well, given that, you know, people who are older are actually suffering from it in a far worse way. Yeah, exactly. So I think we need to just have those conversations about, um, you know, what this might mean for their grandparents or for other people who already have existing conditions. Mm. One mm. of the small things that my older daughters have been particularly interested in is the discussion we've had around what scientists are doing right now to mm. sort of come up with vaccines. And yep. I think that aspect of it, you know, it's sort of touching on what you were saying and in terms of we do have so much um, – you know, intellectual capital in in the realm of health and infectious diseases, and and we have got all these people who are working in this space. So there is certainly, while this isn't anyone's ideal scenario, it is a scenario that lots of people are skilled at figuring out how we um, contain. And I think we've got to rely yeah. on that and be um, grateful for mm. those sorts of professionals because it is incredible that there are people right now work. You know, and they're making huge gains every day. Yeah, yeah. And we can do this as a little push for Jessie's story that she wrote yesterday on some of the women who are working uh, towards uh, a vaccination, which is really great to watch. And yep. it is and it is awesome. And I also think it's great to see, well, I hope we'll see a little bit more of this. I could be wrong, but global mm. cooperation. This could be a yes. perfect example of what global cooperation could achieve. Um, you know, yeah. we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with you on that, though, I, and I think we will see that. This might be naive, and I know that potentially when there's commercial interests involved, it's different. But I do think there is a degree of um, cooperation in the scientific community because mm. they don't work in labs and try and create um, vaccines mm. to never use on anyone. Mm. You know, they, 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 they work in this space so that they can try and help as many people as possible. So I think that in this area of research, I can't imagine why they wouldn't be cooperating and, you know, sharing information. Yeah. Okay, well, on From to... what I read, they, are, they Sorry, have Shivani. actually worked with other groups. No, no, it's fine. Mm. And, um, and also, a few small batches of human testing is already starting, though mass production of vaccines were probably about a year or a year and a half away. So um, still some time, but it is, you know, it is rapidly improving in terms of, you know, progress mm. to that mm. thing. Yeah. Okay. New topic outside of coronavirus. So Elizabeth Warren, she has uh, dropped out of the race to be the Democratic nominee for the US presidential election later on this year, meaning two white men in their 70s, mm. 70s, yep, in their 70s will likely be taking on uh, Donald Trump in November. So this ends the idea of a female president in 2021 and it makes you wonder, I think, if it's possible for a female president four years later, unless we see some kind of family Trump situation and Ivanka Trump um, getting the Republican <laughs> nomination. Uh, done. And it, stranger things, <laughs> stranger things have certainly occurred. Mm. So um, there is a possibility still that we could see a female vice president, uh, which would be historic, but... Um, 
as I know, I, I read a piece on this in the New York Times today and the whole idea is that do we really want to settle for silver after a year of competing so hard for the gold? What do you think, Georgie? Are mm. we? Do you think that we're due for – we're definitely due, but do you think that we'll see a female president? What have you taken out of this race? And uh, I mean, look, it, it's – it's really, really difficult to accept and I think one of the harder parts is listening to people explain all of the different reasons why it couldn't possibly have been Elizabeth mm. Warren, Yeah, which is very funny when you consider that we also had to have the same conversations about Hillary Clinton and when you listen to that you think, mm. I don't think there's a woman alive who meets that criteria. I was at a dinner on Saturday night at the Opera House and um, the All About Women festival director, Edwina Throsby, was speaking about this and she said, you know, when you think about a couple of the recent elections here in Australia, in the UK, in America, do we really lack the imagination to give ourselves anything beyond two white male men in the same age bracket? Because ultimately that's what that's all we're getting in so many, you know, in the UK, here, in America... Is that really what we believe? Mm. Well, the I, only the only way we can get power. Well, I think it's also that idea of, um, I mean, the concerns about putting another woman up against Trump, which is, mm. it, it's. What, what do you think, Shivani? Well, it's just another opponent, right? We we need to stop thinking of it in that way, and and, and this is what really annoys me is that <laughs> women are constantly used as a scapegoat reason. Did you see that woman fail? So that means all mm. women will fail. When one man fails, he's just one individual. And and it really gets up my goat when, when you know, that, that example is given. And I've read it sort of over and over again. And I think why that happens is because women leading overall, whether it's, you know, a woman president in the US, which of course we haven't seen yet, but women leading, you know, in governments, corporations, any of that is so abnormal that whenever it does happen, it, it's seen as this example. So, I think that will we ever see one year? We will eventually. When? Goodness, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to have a crystal ball and, you know, answer that. I would love to have been in, in 2016, but of course that didn't happen. Um, but it is so important that we keep pushing for it. Last year we had six women vying for the role. Uh, now we have, um, I think now we have one technically, but soon we'll have some um, for, for that role. And, um, and I think that eventually when we do have enough women, you know, one will shake out and we, we will have a, a, a woman president for the US. It's not necessarily for us, I shouldn't really say we. Um, but then it becomes a new normal because seeing is believing and what you see becomes a standard that you then play out in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think mm. also... So we, we, we just need to... We just need to get there. But can I just, can I just say one thing? Because this is another thing that's really annoying, right? We've had two really capable, super capable female candidates. So, you know, Hillary Clinton in 2016 and, of course, Elizabeth Warren is a standout as well. And it just goes to show how damn hard it is to crack that glass ceiling. You can have some really tough, capable women, women but the glass ceiling is even tougher. Mm. I think maybe just on that, what you, with Elizabeth Warren, I mean, what we saw on Super Tuesday was that, I mean, Joe Biden suddenly got this huge lift and it sort of looked like it was like, oh, we better retreat to the safe option. Mm. That, 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 that's mm. sort of what I read into mm. that, that people seem to think well, he's the safe and steady person and he's the best person to go up against Trump. Mm. I think it is also mm. worth remembering here that, and it's easy for this to get lost because of the circumstances in which it happened, but Hillary Clinton actually got very close mm. to winning that election. It was, I think it's sort of construed 
and I am guilty of this even myself, as being a huge devastating loss because of what it represented. But the truth is she won the popular vote there. Mm -hmm. There were a number of um, factors going on, the FBI um, investigation Mm -hmm. and the release of those emails just before, um, in, in the lead up to the election. Those were considerable factors. And I think then what's so scary is that it's now, you know, Elizabeth Warren, they think, oh, we don't want to put another woman up against Trump. Hillary very nearly beat Donald Trump. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think part of it is also the expectation that she was going to win. Exactly. And the surprise that the result was different. So that led to a lot of inward looking at what went on yes, there. Yes, and, and I think mm. it is fair. Yeah. You know, a lot of people construe that as a huge failure because he was seen by so many people as unelectable mm. and therefore it was hers think- to lose. Yeah. I think Angela's people point earlier in the, in the podcast about, you know, being positive. If we were to look at something positive that's coming out of this, um, it's that every time we get more female cancers vying for the role, it's creating, you know, a little bit more headway, it's creating a little bit more of a new normal. The country, you know, is already showing us that they can back a nominee, but they don't seem to think that the nominee, if it's a woman, can actually win. But eventually over enough cycles, there will be, enough progress to be made that will eventually just get there, sort of one foot in front of the other. Uh, but it, it seems to be a, a very long, slow road. Yeah. And yeah. also this, I mean, I'm tr- I am framing this as a positive. I do <laughs> think there's a genuine chance. I would say there's more of a chance of Trump being re-elected this term than there is of him not. And I think then perhaps who gets the nomination in four years' time is actually going to be potentially more important than this that's my thought i just think he's going to win another term and then but when it's when his term will be up i think then potentially there's going to be greater scope for a candidate to take over mm, okay there you have it uh, georgie dent 2020 <laughs> yeah. prediction and US i know election I mean, that specialist that that's is my name the, i think that there is a lot of uh consensus on that opinion Except that the global situation oh, is changing a lot. So, and we, we, yeah, we, we don't know where that will land in November. So. And also the idea of Donald Trump having four more years in power is not remotely reassuring, particularly not when the years are as complex and intense as they are <laughs> currently. I know. Uh, who would have thought it back in 2016? First exactly. of all, uh, that those few days after he got elected, the, the idea of 2020, that a very real possibility that he could be there for another four years. But here we are. Okay, so moving on. Let's go. Uh, I hope this can be a little bit lighter. Um, we'll see how we go. But we, we, we've started a new little segment on this podcast where we end with some rapid fire questions, some quick things that are on our minds that have come up during the week that we just want to ask each other. Um, Shivani, do you want to go first with the first question? Yes, yes, why not? Um, so what I would love to know, Angela, is um, are you doing the handshake or not doing the handshake? Okay, I don't want to do the handshake. I don't want to do it at all. I never wanted to do it. <laughs> so, again, a little positive is that maybe this could be the end of the handshake. Um, but I do, people come up to you and their hand is extended and it's awkward and I instantly go back and I extend my hand and before we know it, we're shaking hands. And at the moment, I can see the look on their face and I know they do not want to be shaking my hand either. So, I reckon this is it. Let's end the handshake. 
I'm a kisser. I am. And I just I, want to I, that's, I don't, don't want to be. Them. I know we yeah. don't need it, but I am finding it really hard mm. to. Um, I have to consciously think, don't kiss, don't kiss, don't kiss. I obviously don't kiss random people <laughs> as an aside, but when I see someone, yeah. Yeah, I'm inclined to especially other like, women, and yeah, and this came up a lot. There's been a lot of events on around International Women's Day. Just really don't want to do a kiss hello anyway, and you know, men don't kiss each other hello. So you know, maybe it's about time we just keep the greetings same. The g- yeah, I know. I, I yeah. Look, it's funny though. It it, it reminds me how hardwired we are because mm. I have pretty much everyone I've seen you know in recent days and weeks I still just go for the normal greeting that I would do sometimes that is a handshake sometimes it's a kiss hello yep um mm. yep it's there's, hard there's to only been the one I've only had one and I've I've been I've, I've, there's been a, a few things on the last couple of the last week mm. or so only one person has kind of actually stepped back and done a no we're not doing that and I was like oh thank you well, and I, I want that courage to be able to do that as well. But that I was, does take a lot of courage, yeah. I was at a dinner on Saturday night and people were actually had individual hand sanitising gel that they were using in between courses and there was a, a very concerted push to not touch okay. and okay. hold hands. So I was like, okay, yeah, this is a thing. So I didn't have my own at hand At least sanitizer. one, I think it's France, I could be wrong, but I think France has come out today and they've issued like a nationwide... I don't know if you call it a ban, but they've gone out and said no more handshaking. And we did get that last week when we had, yeah. I think it was the New South Wales Health Minister, suggest that maybe we could give each other a pat on the back instead. I'm not for that either. So <laughs> just to be clear, I just want to say hello. Yeah, I, I did get one foot Nothing tap. Nothing wrong with a good old hello. You got one foot tap. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. Wendy McCarthy. Ah. She, that's what she suggested as the appropriate greeting. Then there's the elbows, but you know, I also people heard about sneeze that. into their elbows. So or coughing or, and sneezing into elbows. Yep, I've, I've read that But not the too. outside of your elbow because I actually really discussed unnatural. this with the kids. Oh, oh, wait, I think Shivani's talking about the um, the suggestion to – I know that, yeah, my, my we, we always teach our kids if they don't have a tissue on them that they, they sneeze into their elbow. Yes, mm. but not the outside part but then of your elbow. The outside part of the elbow is the the part that's being used yeah. as the, the potential be, uh, <laughs> greeting of the of the twenties. Yes, mm. which would be anatomically impossible, I think, to sneeze on the outside of your elbow. I just am not sure. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, my question. Um, this also related to the end of days. Mm. <laughs> so earlier on, uh, Georgie left the office to go and get a coffee and she made the point that, hey, we may as well just eat cake because why not? And she said, I'll bring back everyone a piece of cake. And then she came back to the office and she didn't have the cake and I was really, really sad <laughs> and really disappointed. Crying, you can never do that again. But also, Angela, you are usually so good you never eat cake so I didn't think you'd want it but then the only available you'd, cake you'd, looked very dry. I know, and, and you, you'd left with that, that idea that because mm. everything that's like why not? So then I'd kind of gone with the permission to, yes, I'll eat cake at lunchtime. Um, but it got us, you know, what ideally, you know, what would be high on your list of, food prep items to have in your house um, in case the, the, the you should have to go and self-isolate, what what will be in your cupboard? And, I mean, aside from the staples and the important things, what is the thing that you really want to make sure that you have there? 
um, vanilla ice cream and all the baking products that I need because my I just love I, I recently I made a brookie for the first time which is a combination of a brownie and a cookie and it was at the request of one of my daughters I didn't I'd never heard of these things they are the most delicious thing in the world and if you eat them warm a warm brookie with vanilla ice cream I promise your life will be complete okay so if it all so ends I- you'll still be happy so, Shivani. I saw what? the brookie on My Kitchen Rules a couple of years ago and it looked sensational. So, invite me over, Georgie. I'm coming. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. You just won't be shaking hands or kissing hello. Exactly. <laughs> You'll just be eating yeah. Georgie's baking instead. Yeah. What would be your essential, aside from the basics, what would be your essential item in your pantry should you need to stay in your house for, or unit or apartment for two weeks? Yes, yeah, so I, I, I'm just such a foodie that it will be really naughty things like kettle chili chips. I think I'd have about three packets of those that should keep me going for a really long time. Um, I do love smoothies for breakfast, so I'd have oats and some protein powder and some berries. It's probably where I'm going to get my nutrition from. And aside from that, if I could, you know, siphon over, somehow get someone to transport me mum's curries, then I'm sorted. Mm, yeah. I think that's how I'll do it. I think I'd like your mum's curries too. Just I'm just guessing, so I could have some of those. We'll do a well. trade. Brookies yeah, for brookies curries. for curry. That would work well. <laughs> what about you, Ange? Um, okay, so I would have. I know this sounds very boring, but I would have plain biscuits. I just I like plain biscuits for whatever reason. I just like to make sure that they're handy and they're close Savory by. Savory or it makes sweet? Me, uh, uh, sweet, just lightly sweet. I just want to make like that's just one of those things that you know I'd feel comfortable having in my fridge. And then in terms of the health side. I like this sounds this is going to sound ridiculous, but I'd always want a supply of spinach. I just eat spinach with everything. Um it's it's a <laughs> it goes back to being a, a long time vegetarian and how I get my iron and I feel like I can eat anything and I'll be fine as long as it ha- comes with a side of spinach. And in saying that then I'd also like some balsamic vinegar that really makes the lifts the spinach in times of need if you have nothing yeah. else. So I thought you used to watch a lot of Popeye as a child maybe. but I did watch that as well. So, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen you eat a plain sweet biscuit. I'm I'm intrigued Mm. about that. But anyway. You're clearly not at my house at five o'clock in the morning when I have a few hunger cravings. No, how fascinating. Mm. Um, Tell me this. How would you two entertain yourselves if you had to stay inside for 14 days? Shivani. Entertainment is really easy. I've got a couch and I've got Netflix and I'm yeah. sorted. <laughs> I, you know, and also I can just walk downstairs and, and work. If, and provided I'm not feeling unwell, if I'm isolating as a precaution, then, you know, I suppose I would just end up working from home. But if I'm really unwell, then Netflix, couch, bed. And I have a bookshelf full of books as well. So that would be my entertainment. Yeah. That would be – so for me personally, yeah, provided I'm not unwell, um, would be – yeah, books and Netflix and all the CV- the television series that I don't get time to watch at the moment and I get to catch up on. But aside from that, I mean, I've, with the kids, that's probably my biggest concern is how I would entertain them. And I have given this too much thought already, considering this is not actually upon us at the moment. But I think that what I'd do is I would run them around the house. Like we, like we run around the outside of the house like over and over and over and over again. I want to just burn their energy, run them around like puppies and then we can all come indoors and have a relaxing 
a bit of a relaxing time then. I'd like to think that I do lots of educational stuff with the kids at that point because they'll be off school, but yeah, I'm not there. So Mm. I don't know. What would you do, Georgie? Well, I I do think in this regard we are spoilt for choice because for my own personal entertainment, I think the idea of having some time where you – where you could just watch to your heart's content. We could listen to podcasts. You could. I would bake. I love baking. Um, obviously, I'd be making the brookies daily <laughs> and freezing them too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think though, with the kids, that obviously would be hard. My kids do love doing things like PowerPoint presentations. Oh. The older two, not the four-year-old, she would struggle <laughs> with that. But she, they each, they would each get a little bit of time on the computer to do some jobs like that. I think we'd do some craft. And one of our favourite indoor games is playing volleyball with a balloon yeah we love that too we love that too play that for ages everyone everyone's Mm. happy yeah better get some balloons thank you both for making me sound incredibly lazy with your active (laughs) activities i will uh i will try to get a life now (laughs) (laughs) all right well i think that is it for today and i mean hopefully next time we'll be in person but who knows so we might be at home with we might be all doing this individually but that's the beauty beautiful thing about podcasts and our little setup that we have here is that we can do it remotely and from home so yay to that so (laughs) thank you again for listening thank you shivani all the best with the rest of your trip in brisbane thank you so much thank you georgie thank you and you have been listening to the Women's Agenda podcast for another week. A reminder that you can go and subscribe and you can also leave a review and a five-star rating if you want to, which would be great. Um, It all obviously helps. We publish Women's Agenda every day. We put out a newsletter just before lunchtime and it's absolutely free. So please go and subscribe.